The following program is presented by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, www.ncuscr.org. For those of you who don't know the U.S.-China Business Council, just a few quick thoughts about who we are. As I mentioned, we've been in existence for 43 years. We're private, non-government, no government support, uh, nonpartisan. We have about 200-plus American companies as members, many that you would obviously recognized, but some smaller companies as well, and you can parse through and pick some of those out in the, in the logos there. We are headquartered in Washington, but we have offices in Beijing and Shanghai, and we've had an office in Beijing since you first could, going back to 1979, as a matter of fact. Our membership's very diverse in terms of its representation. We're roughly half manufacturing, half services. That doesn't cover everybody, because we also have resource companies and agriculture companies, too. We have a CEO-level board of executives, which is a great asset because it's a good reach uh, in China as well as Washington. What do we do for our members? I would just put it briefly into four areas. Information and analysis, I think, is the core of what we do, along with advocacy. Those are probably the two main things. Uh, but a lot of best practices sharing for companies so that, you know, at this point in time, companies don't need to be reinventing the wheel. There's companies that have been there before then. There are some exceptions as new sectors open up. Uh, but we're able to uh, help companies uh, tap into that and then access through the events we do with uh, Steve and the National Committee, of course, on at the top level, but even every day in China with our offices there in terms of access uh, uh, to the Chinese government. And roughly our mission is to expand the China commercial relationship. That's what we're here for, but in a way that's going to benefit our membership and, and fortunately, I think also the American economy. Um, our survey, we've been doing it every year. Uh, that I've been in the, in the role, which is coming up on 12 years. We had close to 120 companies participate. I just throw this up here because I think it'll give you a sense of, um, of uh, the value of the, of the data in the survey. Roughly every year, about half the respondents are executives who sit in China, so we'll bring that on the ground experience, but roughly half uh, sit in the US or other locations. Pretty experienced bunch of, uh, of companies as well that are involved. If you do the math there, you can see that you know 80 plus percent have been doing business in China for 10 years or more. Um, and if you break it down by type, overweighted manufacturing relative to the, the U.S. economy, that's because China opened up the manufacturers earlier, so you'll get that weighting in any kind of survey you do. 20% um, are in the technology space as we would define it in either manufacturing or services. So anyway. All that to say I, that the respondents, the participants in the survey of this, that we have every year um, will give you a good broad-based view of what's going on there. I'm going to start by giving you the key findings right up front, and basically I'm going to cover three areas. Uh, the operating environment uh, that comes out of the operating perspective. Uh, number one there is China's slowdown is clearly impacting company revenues. We'll go into it more than just that. Uh, number two, we'll look at it from the policy perspective, too. And policy uncertainty is definitely impacting business confidence. Uh, and then number three, though, we'll step back and, and put China in the context of, of the global economy uh, and the growth story going ahead and whether that's uh, something of concern or not if you look at the headlines. Uh, China is definitely still outpacing other markets, and I think it will continue to do so in terms of growth, but for American companies, the key question is will they be able to access that growth as fully as they should? So with that, let me um, go to the operating environment. As I mentioned, uh, economic slowdown impacting company revenue. 
We ask this question every year. 2016 revenue from China protected, projected to increase, about two-thirds say that. Uh, not bad, but down from prior years. I think the bigger number on this page that matters is close to 20% are looking at a revenue decrease in China. And that's a pretty big number there, um, and one that we hadn't seen that, that uh, high before. Clearly what's going on, however, with company revenue depends upon the sector you're in. And companies that are tied to, say, materials in China or to infrastructure where there's been slowdowns, sectors where there's overcapacity leading to pressures are the ones that uh, might be seeing an out-and-out -out decrease year-over-year year in their revenue story. Um, for companies that are tied to the consumer or tied to, say, healthcare or other sectors where there's a lot of growth, still doing pretty well and they will report double-digit year-over-year revenue growth. But on average, I would say, whereas double-digit year-over-year revenue uh, growth is pretty common uh, in past years, over the last couple of years, more common to see companies say, if I were to roll it up, you know, upper single-digit revenue growth. Um, that's not the only takeaway. I'm going to jump to something that we uh, calculate every year. That's the top 10 challenges, because we always ask our companies what their biggest issues are. And I put this list up because uh, the top two in particular are going to tie into uh, um, the operating environment. But it's an interesting list to look through. But competition with Chinese companies in China has been the number one issue for the last two years. And it's 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 advanced rapidly in this list from not being on the list at all a few years back. So that's one of the big stories that's uh, uh, developed over the last two or three years for American companies uh, in China. And that is Chinese companies are increasingly uh, becoming their top competitors. Uh, number two on here is cost increases, something we've been seeing in our top ten issues for a good five, six years, uh, I would say. Um, moving up to be a, uh, a top one, two, or three issue. Anytime you see competition increasing, at the same time you see cost increases, you're gonna see margin pressure. And that's probably the other big takeaway, I would say, in the operating environment, uh, is that um, companies remain profitable. Now, let me, let me, before I jump to that, let me pick up on that cost. Uh, question, are rising costs a concern in China? You can see 91% saying yes still. So it, I think obviously shows it's a concern. What are the top cost concerns? It's on people, no doubt about it. Yeah, there's some other things on there, but the HR costs have always been the driver here. And we're not talking about um, manufacturing workers on the factory floor. What we're talking about here is white collar, middle management, technical skilled people. It's been consistent for a number of years in that front. Um, that's where the big cost driver is for the companies. But at the same time, companies remain profitable. 90%, in fact, um, in the survey this year said they are profitable. You can see that's pretty consistent over the last five years and actually even before that. Um, but what you're seeing is that margin pressure that I talked about with that increasing competition, increasing cost. You can see that um, profitability compared to the previous year the top there decreased has been growing pretty steadily. Uh, and I think that's um, one of the big takeaways in terms of the, of the operating environment. Increasing competition, rising costs, regulatory impediments, combining to pressure margins. Um, how are companies reacting to that? Well, they're responding by doing what you would expect. They're reducing hiring, cutting their costs, slowing their investment. And that shows up clearly in this chart. 
I guess what I would say is this. If you went back until, let's say up to two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, it was all about building capacity in China in terms of capturing growth. Your biggest constraint on capturing growth was did you have the capacity to service the market out there? If you're manufacturing, it would mean, you know, literally your manufacturing capacity. But it wasn't just manufacturing when I talk about capacity. If you're a services company, did you have enough people to service the market? Could you hire them fast enough and train them? If you were, say, Walmart, could you build stores fast enough? That was their biggest constraint on growth. And they still have a plan to, to build uh, several hundred stores. Um, it was about expanding to find, but now it's a little bit different. It's as the growth has slowed and as tier one, two, tier two cities have become uh, more of where the footprint is uh, already, it's where do you find new areas of growth in that environment? Um, so companies increasingly go into tier three and tier four cities to try to capture growth. But when you do that, you got a lot more complicated structure. Efficiencies become more important. Your go-to-market strategy becomes more important. Taking costs out with that rising competition. So in other words, China is starting to look and sound a lot more like a more mature market you'd see elsewhere around the globe, but shifting away from you know, build it and they will come, being a capacity uh, story to one that's now more about what's your value to your customer, how do you get growth in a, in a, in a slowing environment, uh, and how do you do it with probably a more complicated footprint, distinguishing your, your product, distinguishing your services from your competition. But in that environment, like I say, companies are responding like you would expect. They are cutting costs, they're controlling their headcount, they're slowing investment, but they're not pulling out. Um, China remains a priority market, uh, certainly for our membership, uh, and it outpaces other markets around the globe, but provided you can access that market, and that kind of leads me to the policy part of what our survey says. This may be the most important chart uh, that I put in front of Chinese senior officials when I meet with them. Uh, every year of our survey, we always ask, how do you see the next five years? be optimistic, somewhat optimistic, neutral, somewhat pessimistic, or pessimistic. Um, you will see this year that if you look at the, the green and the blue boxes there and you add them up, 72% are either optimistic or somewhat optimistic, and that sounds pretty darn good, right? Probably wouldn't match up with what you might expect from reading the headlines. Uh, but if you look here, you can see a clear trend line in a couple of things. Number one, a shift from optimistic to somewhat optimistic has been going on, so a shift from the green to the blue has been pretty clear. But you can also see in the top um, that there's also uh, growth in the neutral and even in the pessimistic side. Now look, 10% are pessimistic, so it's still pretty small, right? So again, I think it's important to keep that in mind. It's not like U.S. business is pessimistic about China, but you can clearly see that they are softening in terms of their confidence is the way I would put it. Um, the biggest driver of this is, I think, um, policy uncertainty. And that is uncertainty about what China is heading in its economic reforms. This wasn't just something that, that uh, came about over the last, what are we in, three years of, of, the, of the new leadership reform rollout. Um, it's longstanding issues that have been, uh, that companies have been struggling with for a while, but don't seem to get addressed. New leadership came in with great fanfare three years ago with a reform program not much impact being felt by companies yet, particularly on the issues uh, that matter to them. That, I think, that policy uncertainty is what's leading to what you see in this chart here, but I would also say it's undermining business confidence too. 
Uh, and in my view, it's a big reason why the American business voice, particularly at this time right now in our own uh, political season, but it's why the American business voice has been quiet on China, because they're not quite certain where China is going uh, and looking for signals, but not really getting those signals about the reform path, getting a lot of mixed signals. Um, what issues are impacting that five-year outlook? This points it out. Number one there, two-thirds say it's the policy and regulatory environment. Not a lot of change. Number two is domestic market growth. That's slowdown. So yes, absolutely. That is a part of it. Um, number three uh, is a grouping of things that all lead back to what I said earlier about profit margins being squeezed uh, by the competitive environment uh, and by costs. So it very clearly shows up uh, as well. Um, but like I said, it's not leading companies to pull out. Maybe they're cutting headcount, maybe they're taking other, met other steps, but still a fairly small number of companies are actually looking at reducing investment. But at 15%, uh, that was the biggest number we've seen. So there are some investment slowdowns going on, um, but that's different from saying companies are pulling out. Why did company, your company reduce or, or stop a plan investment in the past year? Again, the market access restrictions are number one. Um, Reduce capital investment globally is another reason too. But you're seeing a bigger jump there in that third one, that green bar, where they feel like there's better business prospects in another country, which I think is also reflective of that. We've been kind of waiting for things to open up, and they haven't. Um, and I think this, uh, this slide here points that out as well. We asked, is your company seeing any benefits from China's economic reforms? On the one hand, you could say, well, 40% are seeing some benefit. But when we talk to companies, it's been pretty minimal. It's been things around the margins, around the edges, not things that really dramatically transform their business. You know, 56% said they have seen zero benefits at all. Uh, and I think that's the important thing that's feeding into that policy uncertainty. We actually do a scorecard of China's economic reforms. We're about to issue an update. We do them about two or three times a year. We're about to issue an update, I think, uh, later this month. And it's the incredible the amount of work our staff across our three offices put into this. But they're basically tracking all the policies that come out across ministries to determine their impact on, admittedly, our perspective is how it impacts our membership, American companies. So it's not the entire reform impact on Chinese economy, let alone Chinese society. But from that narrow prism, the impact of reform on foreign companies. And you can see the dial remains in the limited uh, uh, space three years into it. And there's not going to be any movement this time around either. But having said all that, um, as I said, the growth story in China is still there. And I'll spend some time talking about that now. You know, what's the view of China's growth pro prospects versus other emerging markets? You know, nearly three quarters say better. And that's important context, I think, for those of us who just focus on China versus those of you who look at China in the global context, like our board does and a lot of our other executives. Yeah, there's a slowdown there. Yes, there's a lot of challenges. Um, but growth prospects in China remain compelling, and that's why it's important to get the relationship right. The growth story is there, but if you look on the right-hand side here, what's China's policy environment like versus other emerging markets? You see a much more mixed picture that I think reflects some of those previous slides. The long-term view, I think, of China is that um, there's confidence about China's growth story, despite the headlines. Um, but as I said earlier, the bigger question is uncertainty around whether companies will be able to access that growth as fully as they should, whether those market access barriers will come down, whatever form they're in, licensing barriers, foreign investment ownership restrictions, 
there's an array of things. Um, but there's, I think there's a fair amount of confidence that China's growth is going to continue. And even at its reduced GDP year-over-year -year growth, right, whatever it is, 6%, 6.5%, I don't really care, um, China's delivering more to global GDP growth each year than the U.S. does. So at 6, 6.5%, China's delivering about a third of global GDP growth every year. The U.S. is around 20, 25% of late, uh, and that's likely to continue. So yes, the percentage comes down, the economy maturing, but it's a much bigger base. Uh, and that's also why companies pay so much attention to what's going on there and want to have more access. Six and a half percent GDP growth last year delivered more real GDP added than 12% growth did 10 years ago. Size matters. Um, headline growth percentage, therefore, is less important than what the base is. For all you journalists out there, you will be able to write every year for the next 20 years going forward that China is reporting the slowest growth that it ever has in the last you know, quarter century or whatever. It's going to happen. It's a maturing economy that's getting much larger. But even at 5.5% growth over each year, or annual growth over the next decade, China's going to add either two Germanys or four Indias to its economy. So that's why it matters. Uh, the growth prospects remain compelling. But like I say, the more important question is whether American companies will be able to access that growth as fully as they should. Um, we also put out a report every year on U.S. state exports to China. Sometimes we've done it by congressional district. You guys are doing great work in, in looking at the inbound investment story as well, which is, is similar. Um, we've been putting that, this report out for a good long while. I think it's important to look at this too. You can see in U.S. goods exports to China that slowdown that's been going on, right? So export growth was, was uh, chugging along pretty good, pretty good, and then 2014, 2015, you can see it's kind of turned around. And we know that global trade, of course, has, has uh, slowed. We know that China's uh, trade has slowed, and it's, it's clearly showing up in the goods export numbers of China. Um, look on the right-hand side, though, services exports. And this actually uh, surprised me this year. So there's a, a, a two-year lag on this. We don't have 2015 numbers. But U.S. services exports to China, $42 billion um, in 2014. So you can guess maybe you know, it's probably approaching $50 billion as of last year. And you can see the kind of growth down below that's going on. Um, this is a story that, uh, you know, like I say, four or five years ago, I wouldn't have even paid attention to. But it's offsetting that slowdown in goods exports, too. Um, and this is something that, of course, matters to New York. If you break it down by New York, you can see, look, the, the goods exports reflecting that slowdown. But look what's going on in the services exports uh, as well. So New York services exports are bigger than goods exports, um, at least 2014, uh, uh, two years ago. So that's a story that also matters. But it also plays into why it's important to have a lot of the barriers on uh, services sectors in China be eliminated. Um, and just continuing on, you know, the, the market size and why it matters, we always look at every year market size, not just in terms of exports, but also in terms of what U.S. companies based in China sell too, because you don't want to ignore that. Um, when you do that and eliminate the, the overlaps and so on, you can see that China is, is now the second largest overseas market for the
for the United States tied with Mexico, and it's actually probably ahead of Mexico, I'm guessing. We do this pretty conservatively. Canada's obviously the big number one, uh, $800 billion, but China's now 400, and I'm guessing more than this, it's at least a $400 billion market for U.S. companies. Now, you can see from the exports there, they were about $150 billion of that. U.S. companies with operations in China sell a lot there. In fact, we sell more in China from U.S. operations based in China than we do export from here. All of that matters to the health of the U.S. economy, and again, it's just underscoring why the market is important. Um, if you also think about China's growth that's going on, and break down the GDP numbers, you can clearly see that there is a transition that is going on in China. Uh, I was just looking at Andy Rothman. Do you know who Andy Rothman is, economist, um, based out on the West Coast now? He had some service in the U.S. government. You ought to look at his, the stuff that he puts out on China's economy. He just had a report yesterday that was uh, basically uh, reaffirming this. Um, if you look at China's growth by region or by province, you know, the, the Rust Belt provinces in the northeast, the old industrial provinces in, in north central China, you know, they're probably in a recession. Growth is, is 0%, 2%, um, and it shows up in what's reported. But if you look at the other 25 provinces, growth is pretty strong, you know, 8%, um, reflecting some of the transition. If you look at by company type, state-owned enterprise profitability has been horrible for I don't know how many you know, months, years in a row. Um, Private sector profits growing pretty healthily and have been for a long time. If you look at it by sector, consumer companies doing better, as I mentioned earlier, services are growing versus, say, infrastructure or basic industry, which are being challenged. So there's definitely a uh, transition going on in the Chinese economy that may not be fully appreciated yes, yet. Um, they've got their issues, um, but it ties back to what I was saying earlier and what this chart is underscoring. China remains an important market and it will for for uh, uh, the foreseeable future, they could have some blips, but probably the growth story is gonna be there. And like I say, the bigger question is whether US companies can, can impact that growth as fully as they should. The answer right now is no. It ought to be more than this $400 billion, um, given all the restrictions there. What's happening, I think, is that with China underperforming in terms of what US companies would like to be able to do there, or for companies in some sectors, think financial services, for example, or other sectors where companies can't even be involved. Um, that underperformance versus the potential, plus that slow pace of reform, I'm starting to hear from senior executives saying, it's starting to mean that executive attention is going elsewhere, or that you know, the resources and the best talent isn't necessarily being put there anymore, because they're waiting, waiting, waiting to be able to do, be able to do more and not getting that opportunity to do so. So again, I think it shows up in that chart I showed where the five-year outlook, it's a message that we try to make sure that the senior leadership in the Chinese government hears, and I know that they have, and I know that goes all the way up to uh, the highest levels. Um, but it's something that's enormously important to see how uh, they respond. We've got our political transition coming up here. They're gonna have a big political event next year as well, about a year after ours. It'll translate into changes in government roles six months after that. We're at an important time in the, in the relationship to see if the, the two sides can come together and try to remove some of the barriers, I think, that are holding the relationship back to what its natural state should be, or whether we're going to have a relationship that's going to get uh, more contentious. Now, one of the things that could be done, I think, to uh, help address these issues and why the U.S.-China Business Council has been a, a big proponent of, of 
a bilateral investment treaty is that a bilateral investment treaty would address six of those top ten challenges that I mentioned and would get a lot of those issues I mentioned that are holding back I think what companies like to be able to do. In red here are all the types of issues that would be addressed by a high standard bilateral investment treaty. So you can see this is why our membership is interested in it. It would address competition on the level playing field. It would address the, the unfair licensing uh, approvals, greater transparency and so on, uh, national treatment. These are all big things that would be uh, at least addressed in part by a high standard uh, bilateral investment treaty. I think uh, the window is going to close on getting that done with the Obama administration, despite this big last minute push that is still going on. The negotiators are going back and forth about every two weeks. Two presidents will meet on the margins of uh, APEC and Peru in November. And so both sides are mindful that there is that opportunity maybe to drive some kind of action. Um, but uh, I think the window is probably closing on getting it done for the Obama administration. And then the question is what happens when whoever comes in uh, and uh, what their priorities might be. This is something the U.S. ought to be pushing forward, though, because, uh, like I say, it would address a lot of those issues there and give, I think, a little more stability to the framework of the commercial relationship. Um, but what about an issue that's creating some tension, cybersecurity? I thought I would put up one drill-down slide on this because cybersecurity is an important issue in the relationship. It's one that's not going to go away. Um, it, it's one that's got an awful lot of complexity to it. And, gets way out of my pay grade for if you think about some of the basics, the 800 pound gorilla that's behind it all, but it spills into the commercial space too. Um, so for our membership, we asked them, what's your level of concern about China's policies on information flows and technology security? Because this is one of the offshoots of it. Nobody said they're not concerned. Um, and then you got various other uh, concerns out there. What are they? Well, if you look on the right hand side, a lot of it is just about the ability to do operational things with your business. You know, it's internet service. Uh, it's whether you can use your global IT solution in China or whether you're going to have to use some localized solution that's mandated. It's restrictions on cross-border data flows and think about who that impacts. I mean, it's not just, this is not just an IT sector issue. They're the vendors of technology, but you know, if you're a user, if you're big data for healthcare, for example, if you're financial services, if you're auto, think about GPS. I mean, it just touches upon so many companies. Companies that now increasingly have, for example, large equipment in China that they monitor in a data center from offshore to make sure that performance is where it ought to be. It touches upon so many uh, sectors that this has become a big issue. Uh, the story isn't over yet on this, but this is why we're paying so much attention to secure and controllable uh, type directives and what that means. It's why we're paying so much attention to cross-border data flows and trying to make sure that there's not unintended consequences of the cyber issues that impact the ability for companies, Chinese as well as American, uh, from doing business the way they need to be able to. So, I'll go back to my three things I started with, uh, just to leave you there. The growth slide on is impacting company revenues. There's more to it than, than just that, but it is showing up and it is impacting how companies are uh, looking at their approach to China. Policy uncertainty is definitely impacting business confidence. Um, but on the other hand, it's important to keep in mind that China is still outpacing other emerging markets, certainly. Uh, but the big question is whether companies will be able to access it as fully as they'd like to be able to.